as we did in the first um, session, we have a short two or three minute devotional before we begin. And um, it's been said that a lawyer sees men at their worst and a minister sees men at their best. But a doctor sees men as they really are. <laughs> and of course, the duty of every healthcare practitioner, we're in the business of helping people, healing people, comforting people, um, giving them release. And there, the judgment that patients make of their healthcare provider is not only determined by the quality of care that you give and your diagnosis, but also the treatment they get in the front office and the business office. Because there's a mix-up in insurance, sometimes we don't pay our bills straight away because we think it's covered and it's kind of a bit of a shock to get a letter from the collections department. And if you happen to be out of town, that could turn into a summons to a court, which happened to my wife recently after she got in a road accident that she had nothing to do with. Somebody rammed her in the rear um, without her knowing. And um, it doesn't give you a very good taste when the business office or even the front office, one time I was leaning on the counter and I was told to take my weight off that because it would bend and buckle. You don't feel so good. So what I'm saying is sometimes as a healthcare practitioner, while you're giving good quality back there in your cell, room, whatever, what's happening out the front might also influence how people feel and, and maybe even their response to your treatment. And also the relationship you have with people. The best doctors that I've had over the years are people who know me beyond a symptom. They know me for my hobbies. They know me for my passions. And they ask me, you know, how was the game the other day? How was the hiking trip that you took? There's some connection. People, like we said in our earlier devotional, people want to be treated like individuals, not just as a clinical case. So we need to relate to them in a positive way so that our therapeutic intervention can be as highly productive as possible. Let's pray as we begin. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you again for another chance to open the book of science and, and learn some things. Help us to be careful as to the sources we go to. Help us also in our daily ministry to reach out to students and patients and friends wherever our ministry reaches that we might treat people with human dignity and as you would have us relate to people and help us to be careful about the front office and those that work with us because we're a team and it's the team which implements therapy, not just a person. And we thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> we're going to get healing from the web. Is this safe or scary? <clears throat> I 
Okay. It's on the web. It should be true. Uh, we used to hear that from students, you know, but we don't tend to hear it anymore. Where did you get this? Oh, I got it from the web. It must be true. Okay, we. I know why it's not working. It's turned off. Okay, so every day, every day, uh, we're bombarded with all kinds of things for memory, for miraculous cures, whatever. And people are spending millions of dollars searching for wellness, um, buying pills, gadgets, gizmos, whatever, searching for a better body, searching for better health, whatever. And so things go in cycles. We have colonic cleansing that's popular. A few years ago it was goji juice, ambrotose, glyconutrients, barley green, whatever. Now some of these things work, some of them don't work, and some of them really, um, well, as I say here, some of them are harmless except what they do for your wallet, and some of them are dangerous. But in many cases, the hype outruns the reality. And we need, as Adventist leaders of the community, as healthcare professionals are, we need to be careful what we're involved with and we need to help um, church members and others to make decent, proper decisions. Okay, we're just going to run through a few of them and then give you some resources and um, go from there. Okay, number one superfood, the acai berry from Brazil from a palm tree, supposed to cleanse you of all harmful toxins and boost your metabolism and just melt pounds away. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Makes great slushies, uh, makes great uh, smoothies, makes great all kinds of things. They even have it even coated now with dark chocolate, um, all kinds of things. The, the Federal Trade Commission says that the claims are utterly false, that there is no supporting evidence for these things to help you lose weight, even though the web is full of all sorts of enticements. And the sad thing is that millions of dollars have been spent, people's credit cards have been billed for products that haven't delivered what was claimed for them. So you have these wonderful before and after pictures Okay, you've seen them all, I'm sure. They're nauseating. Okay, after just one month on these special weight loss products made from acai berry, we were able to lose 35 pounds. And you have all these wonderful, wonderful pictures. And then you have the product called Sensor. It's incredible. You sprinkle it on your food, you eat what you like, and you lose weight. Well, what's better than that? Bring it on, right? These flavoured, scented starch crystals, which trick you to making you feel that you're full. So the marketing goes. And um, in reality, there's no peer-reviewed study to show that these things work. So this to this is just a picture. Now last time we showed, last lecture we showed you this picture here and we showed you how the blue map has become red as the country has become more and more struggling 
with the problem of eating too much and exercising too little. And part of the problem is the golden arches, which Garrison Keeler very aptly said that the more frequently you walk under those golden arches, the sooner you'll reach the pearly gates. <laughs> now, he, he, could he could do with a, a, a lesson in theology, but certainly he's got it right when it comes to nutrition, because this is one of the major causes, the stuff that they push. Typically, we find that the average serving size has increased. In fact, if you go back, I've just forgotten the name of the book. It's in the 17th, the cookbooks. It's in the 17th edition right now. And if you go back to the first edition and you compare the serving sizes that were recommended in that with the serving sizes in the present one, you'll see that there's about a, a 15 to 20% difference. Serving sizes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the average beverage serving has increased. I went to Walmart couple of years ago to get some eight, eight ounce cups for a party we were having at Andrews and uh, I couldn't find anything. I guess I'm from a different generation or a different planet but I finally found one of the workers there and asked him. He looked at me like I was from Jupiter. <laughs> eight ounce? What are you talking about? We have 16 and 20 or 24 whatever it was so I, I learnt right there that Eight ounces is a thing of the past, I guess. But bigger portions mean bigger body distortions. And that's part of the problem. <clears throat> this is the other part of the problem. <laughs> we've, we've no longer are participating in sports. We're watching the sports. And even when we go to the fitness club, <laughs> we, we haven't even got it right. Marketing is, is very deceptive. I mean, how many of you would realize, looking at this, that each one of these is 50% bigger than the previous one? And when you look at it here, it's obvious. It's a no-brainer. You can see it. We're very good judges of things upwards, but outwards, width-wise, it's very deceiving. And so you think you're buying a modest amount, and you eat it when in actual fact you're getting maybe twice as much. And even the label on the front if it's scarcely populated with a few items, people will eat less. But if it's crowded with many chips or whatever is in the box, then people will tend to eat more. And then you have serving sizes. This was a research that was done in Europe with 88 college students with these M&Ms. And um, this bowl and this bowl contain exactly the same number of M&Ms. And yet when they were given to students, they took 129% more from this one than from that one because the bowl is bigger. Okay? When these were compared, there was not much difference. So it's not what's in the bowl, it's how big the bowl is. So your serving sizes need to be diminished. You go to a restaurant now and the plate is like, did I bring my whole extended family or what? <laughs> you know. Food mixtures, we hear a lot about where well, we shouldn't mix fruits with protein foods because the body can't digest these things. Well, can carbohydrates and proteins be handled together? Well, let me show you something. I chose a legume, a fruit, a vegetable, a grain, <coughs> and I 
here's the five that I chose, and then I wrote down from food composition tables the number of calories from carbohydrates, proteins, and fat. And what do you notice? Everything has everything. So if, you, if carbs and protein can't be eaten together, then I'd say our creator really screwed up because <laughs> he didn't make anything that we could eat because everything has got something from all the major calorie suppliers. <clears throat> okay, now something else on the web. Ephedra was banned a few years ago, and yet if you look on the web, there are still many sites that are still marketing it without any disclosure about adverse effects or misleading statements that could result in harm. So because of this, marketing, or not marketing people, but uh, food producers, herb producers, developed something similar, and they, they marketed now bitter orange. And bitter orange supplements are promoted as being ephedra-free, but they contain a similar compound, synephrine rather than epinephrine, and this has a very similar chemical property in terms of its effect on blood pressure, and it contains other compounds that can inhibit a cytochrome in the liver and would be expected to increase serum levels of many drugs. So this article here makes very clear the statement there is little evidence that products containing bitter orange are an effective aid for weight loss and that the compound synephrine in it could be considered similar to epinephrine and so we're just substituting one bad thing with another. Okay, now what about Manatech? Um, when we talk about this, we're always treading on toes. <laughs> but you know, my flight leaves Sunday morning. <laughs> so if you want to get me, it's between now and then. But um, their premier product is Ambrotose, and they make claims. These, this is just some of the claims. And if your problem's not in, on here, then we can add it, because we... <laughs> We do have etc. here, okay? The etc. covers everything. But they usually target things that conventional Western medicine doesn't handle, so they always come up with some extreme testimonies. They claim that um, their product contains eight special sugars that we don't make enough of. Some of them, of course, you look at here and you can see galactose, glucose, mannose, and xylose are all in our food, but they claim we don't get enough and that's where Manatech comes in because they provide you with these eight sugars. Actually, when you read the label, the Ambrotose complex contains four polysaccharides, even though they claim they're isolated and purified monosaccharides. And these are anything but monosaccharides. These are gums, okay? <coughs> Research in Glycobiology, a peer-reviewed journal um, back in 2008, had a long, long article outlining all the problems, but one of the statements that was made, I just wrote that one statement here, that there is no clinical study in PubMed database that supports the use of this Ambrotose product for any clinical indication. Now, there are people who are supporters of it will say, well, go to the web. There are 82 references, or whatever the number is, of references showing the value of this. So you do, you go to the web, and what do you discover? All references are 
written by in-house scientists. These are all people who make the stuff and sell it, are doing research and publish their work. So it's like um, asking the fox to guard the chicken coop, you know? Do you expect the chickens to be protected? There's also a lawsuit. This is old now, 2006, but the Texas Attorney General, since this company is in Texas, they claim that they were making false, deceptive, misleading practices, and people have spent billions of dollars and made a few fat cats out of this, um, and yet there is no clinical data to support the use of this product. Okay, moving on to vitamin pills. Now, people who are over 50, it's recommended that a one a day is good in nutritional insurance good coverage because our absorption, our metabolism alters uh, as we get older. But uh, the marketplace really goes beyond, way beyond that. Recent data has shown that vitamin E, while initially it was thought it provided protection against heart disease, the results have been quite lousy. Um, a multivitamin tablet is only desirable for older adults or those on a low calorie weight loss diet. If you're eating your nuts, your whole grains, your fruits and your vegetables and so forth, and you're below 50, then you really shouldn't be needing a vitamin mineral pill, unless of course you're a vegan and you're not using B12 fortified products, then maybe a B12 supplement every day would be desirable and make good sense. We know there are certain vitamins these four that are listed here, two that are fat-soluble and two that are water-soluble in large doses can be toxic. And many people are taking levels in the toxic range. And what about vitamin C? Does it prevent a cold? Well, I bet if I asked people in this room, probably 50 or 60 percent of people would put your hand up, um, as I do in, in asking college students, at least half of them put their hand up. What does the data really show? The claim is that if you take a gram or more, it helps to prevent colds. Randomized con controlled clinical trials have found no benefit. The work done by Dr. Anderson in Toronto and others, there's probably 20 very good trials that have shown that vitamin C does not prevent colds. Okay, so is it a total waste of money? Um, there is some benefit, and the benefit is that it does slightly reduce the severity of symptoms. And it does reduce the duration of colds by about one day, according to the clinical trials. But it certainly does not prevent a cold. Now, the National Institutes of Health did a study amongst 300 employees some time ago. This is old now, but it's still worthy to look at. And people were given um, either a placebo or three grams, and then when they got a cold, they were given a therapeutic dose, which was either a placebo or three grams. So you have group A getting nothing, group B getting three grams, three grams, and this group getting six grams. And here's the number of colds per person, and you can see there's no difference, no difference at all. But there was a difference as to whether people suspected what they were getting. People who were getting the placebo 
when they got the cold, that's group A and group C, their cold lasted about a week. Those that got vitamin C and knew they were getting vitamin C, their cold lasted two or three days less. If they didn't know that they were getting, or they didn't know what they were getting, typically it lasted about a week. Okay? So what does this mean? It means the obvious thing, if you believe that vitamin C has some effect and you know you're taking it, then exactly there will be some benefit for most people. Okay, the, the power, the effect of the, uh, what we know as the placebo effect. So <clears throat> we come around to this question that people are spending millions of dollars. Um, <coughs> things are being presented in magazines and what have you, on TV and on the web. And these are the sorts of things which are utilized because there's at least one out of these six things, at least one that you're interested in. Okay? So you're, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the marketing people, right? Either you want to enjoy better health or look more beautiful or lose weight or slow down aging or enjoy better sex life or enhance your energy level. And if you don't want at least one of those, then you can leave the room because <laughs> you're a liar. <laughs> So, when it comes to health and information on the web, because that's what this lecture is all about, is what you're reading legit or is it phony? Is it credible or crazy? Is it safe or scary? Is it harmful or is it helpful? Now, the average Mary or Joe in the community where you live, they probably don't know. They probably don't know, but all of you are healthcare professionals. You all know some basic science. Um, this is a text that I like to quote from Proverbs 14. It's a very nice text from the wise man. A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man thinks carefully before he takes a step. Okay? I think that applies to the topic that we're talking about. Don't be gullible. Don't believe everything you read. Get a second opinion or a third opinion. Think carefully before you jump, before you move forward, because everything today, they have a way of being able to use Photoshop or other things to deceive us, right? So what are some red flags? First of all, you're promised a quick fix. There's um, a product that's connected. Have you ever noticed in a magazine the article always has products on the next page that all support what this article is all about. That's how these companies position themselves, so that you will continually obsess with how you look and how you feel and how you're aging. This is what the market is all about, getting the consumer to obsess. And that by they can continue selling things. They make exaggerated claims that sound too good to be true. The article is sensationally written with lots of capital letters. You ever got any emails like that with lots of exclamation marks? It's like if something is true, do you have to do three backflips to get the person's attention? It's a kind of a red flag. The information's anecdotal, not attributed to any reputable organization, university. <laughs> and a single ingredient 
or product is alleged to cause a long list of health problems. All those detergents and household fluids that are causing your migraines and causing your celiac disease and everything else, you know, it's a red flag. Beware of what people are pushing. So many Americans go to the internet to get medical information and their decisions on what to do are influenced by what they read. So the question is, is it reliable? Okay, this is the case for many people. Okay, They go to the internet, they diagnose themselves, and then they say, well, I, I better go see the doc j just to make sure that I'm on the right track. So we can say that, yes, the web is good because there's stuff there that we don't have to be running to the doctor. You've sprained an ankle and you've forgotten from your physiology class what you should do. So you could go online and you find out all about rice, right? What to do with treatment until you can get pain relief. But it can also be negative because it can expose you to all kinds of harmful stuff. So we recommend a healthy dose of skepticism when you're reading and looking on the web. You look for the about us to find out who the person is or who the organization is that's putting something up. You search for health organizations, reputable government or Academy of Pediatrics or whatever it is, the Allergy Foundation, to check what they're saying. Watch out for pyramid schemes and beware of websites linked to a distributor or a vendor. So we, we have the case of canola oil, the stuff that's not even fit to be car grease. Have you heard about all the stories about canola oil? It just raises your hair. You just can't believe. Um, and then you have aspartame, the product that's made from, what is it, two amino acids. And um, the article was originated by Nancy Markle and circulated around and around and around. They tracked back to find out who this Nancy Markle was and nobody could ever find out who it was. She never existed. It was a fictitious person. But you know the power of, of emails, don't you? You get this message from your close friend and um, you don't have time to totally research. And, but he's your friend. You trust him. Wow, look at this. Never heard of this. And immediately you think of, oh, I've got so many friends I could share this with. So you go in your in inbox and you forward it to all these 253 suckers. So they get this and they do the same thing. And before, before one hour has passed by, um, 35 million messages have gone from the East Coast to the West Coast. And nobody's ever checked this out. And yet everybody's believing it to be true. Okay, you know what I'm saying in a sarcastic tone? How gullible we are at passing on these false information. And this has happened in a number of cases. So, um, this is more for public digestion. I don't need to remind you, healthcare professionals, but you go to reputable universities that have quality names like Loma Linda and Tufts and so forth. You go to government agencies like Medline and National Institutes. You go to credible health centers like Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic. Yes, they all have excellent websites 
with many diseases and problems and descriptions of things for you. You go to professional health organizations, these are the people you can trust. So when your patients come in and tell you about something, you can refer them to some of these things to double check. And then there are reliable newsletters that you can subscribe to. These are generally 25 to 35 dollars a year. Tufts Health and Nutrition Letter, which is um, largely about nutrition. Then you have Berkeley uh, Wellness Clinic from UCAL. And then there are two that are, that are more focused. The one from John Hopkins is geared for the older population and Harvard for women's health. All four of these are very trustworthy, reliable, and provide excellent material. You, you aren't able to keep up with all of the information that's coming out these days. And you can read summaries, and many of these have references and um, URLs that you can check and get the original, original data. And of course, these are some of the websites that are available. Uh, this, is, this is my personal one. If any of you are interested in health information, it's not only vegetarian nutrition, but it does have other things about um, physical health. And um, a lot of people click on it. It's amazing. I just want to say something here which is amusing to my webmaster. He tells me we get more clicks on this from Beverly Hills than we do from Loma Linda. <laughs> okay, so what is the danger of reading stuff on the web that may be fraudulent? These are just some of the ideas. One is it may delay people from getting appropriate treatment, care, medical care. It may involve taking large doses of vitamins and minerals. Um, one of the exercises we have our nutrition students do in Andrews is we go to a number of websites and look at uh, different supplements that are being sold and they can't believe that some of the supplements have 20 and 30 and 40 times the recommended daily allowance for a supplement. Why do you need to take 40 times the daily requirement of thiamine when 100% is going to be what we need. But these are the things that are out there. Weight loss diets may cause serious harm. And of course, a serious problem is that consumers get confused. Does oat bran really lower your blood lipids or not? You know, back and forth you go with, with different things here. And I better keep my eye on this clock here. So in the remaining... 20, 25 minutes, we want to look at just a few of the current fads that are out there. Uh, I've just listed four here. Coconut oil has got special therapeutic value. We need to regularly detox because our body's full of environmental toxins and parasites. Raw food is the best for our health and juicing provides better nutrition. Okay, we're going to look at these just quickly. First of all, coconut and it comes in different forms, but coconut fat uh, is probably the, one of the most popular. And this is the claim that Dr. Fife originally made in his book that coconut oil is rich in medium chain fats. So it's different from all the other types of fats. And it does not raise cholesterol. It does not promote blood clots. 
It helps control diabetes, provides fewer calories than other fats, it helps provide weight loss, and it provides viral, bacterial, and fungal infections. Quite, quite an awesome list, isn't it? And um, as we saw with Manatech... Oh, dementia. Okay, let's add that. That's extremely important. When we looked at Manatech, you remember there was a whole long list. And whenever you start getting a long list of 157 things that it can do for you, then you better beware because um, there aren't too many things around that can take care of everything under the sun. So this is already a red flag, but it's possible. So let's take a look. Coconut oil, these are the three tropical oils, palm, palm kernel, and coconut. Coconut oil has 87% of its fat is saturated fat. Okay? And of those, it talks about medium chain, but of those, 70% of, of the total fat is, you'll see the star, we go down here, what does the star mean? This is lauric, meristic, and palmitic, C12, C14, and C16 atherogenic fatty acid. Okay, these are the three that are the ones that cause atherosclerosis and they're 70%. So even though it's claimed that these are largely medium chain fatty acids, we still have a whopping large amount of these. Okay. Now palm is a little different from the others because it does have a high level of, of tocotrienols and a very unique triglyceride structure. So it does have antithrombotic property, and even though it's listed with the tropical oils, it tends to be safer than these others. So let's look at monkey studies. Long-term feeding of coconut oil, 31% of calories as fat, to three different species of monkeys produce what? Higher levels of cholesterol, LDL cholesterol and triglycerides, as compared to using corn oil. So what does that tell us? tells it that coconut oil does raise cholesterol. Okay? Now what about blood clots? Rhesus monkeys that were fed diets with either corn, soya bean, peanut or coconut, when they were compared, the three other than coconut did not stimulate platelet aggregation, but coconut oil did. Okay? So again, that claim is apparently false. So <coughs> in summary here, we're not going through all the data, we don't have time, but the research data shows that it does raise cholesterol, it does increase the risk of blood clots, and it provides similar calories to other fats. You look it up in tables, corn oil, eight point, approximately 8.6, coconut oil is approximately 8.4, quite similar, not the 6.8. I guess whoever wrote the book was dyslexic, they got the numbers turned around or something but it's not as low as it's claimed to be, and it certainly does not promote weight loss. Using coconut oil doesn't cause you to shed pounds. Okay, so enough about coconut. Now moving to number two. Number two is the need to cleanse the body. You know, the colon is considered to be the sewer of the body, so you need to get rid of that compacted fecal material, cleanse the colon, Use a detox diet and some of these kits that are provided for you. Actually, a friend of mine in Utah who's been practicing uh, internal medicine for 40 years and been doing colonoscopies, he said that of all the 
all the checks that he's done um, in colons, he's never seen one colon that's had this compacted fecal matter and garbage that's hanging around. So people claim that these detox regimens give them spiritual help and physical help and so on, reduce allergies and purify the blood and so forth, and they even have special vitamins and herbs and antioxidant supplements to help detoxify the liver. My, my comment would be that taking a whole bunch of green vegetables and blending them into a nice juice would be a nice refreshing juice and it may be maybe will uh, help the kidneys and help the blood whatsoever, but um, there's nothing extra special beyond what a good meal and some regular drinking of water can accomplish. There's nothing magical about uh, fruit juice or vegetable juice uh, containing antioxidant supplements to totally uh, purify the liver, the blood, whatever. And of course, colonic cleansing is propagated by many, and this is dangerous. It could perforate the colon, create infections, and um, certainly doesn't make a lot of good sense. Excessive use of enemas have been associated with cardiac problems related to electrolyte imbalance, and also may lead to dependence on laxatives. What about juicing? Um, we've had people come to the university and tell us you need to buy one of these $600 machines because you don't get proper nutrition. You need to strip away fiber so that all the vitamins and minerals can be absorbed. Um, the nutrients then can go directly into the bloodstream. It sounds all wonderful. I don't know what physiology course they took, however, because it certainly wasn't in the physiology course I took. But when you look at it, <coughs> there's so much about juicing that doesn't make sense. We know that too much fluid hinders digestion. Um, when you look at physiology, teeth for cutting and grinding and the colon is six meters long, doesn't, doesn't make any sense if you're going to get uh, your nutrition by just drinking. Uh, why would you need a mouthful of teeth? Um, juicing also disrupts fiber, and we know that fiber in its native structure conveys uh, metabolic effects, and juicing increases glycemic and insulogenic response. We see that with apple juice versus apple sauce versus apples. Apples have a much lower um, blood insulin response than the juice. Alan White tells us that the more liquid we take with our meals, the more difficult it is to digest the food. Food must be thoroughly chewed. <coughs> Digestion of carbohydrate begins in the mouth. So if you're not uh, chewing, then your digestion certainly doesn't begin effectively. She also makes a statement in Council on Diet and Food that some people <coughs> are too rigid in their health reform. Like this cartoon says, I'm feeling great, but I'm worried this might just be a symptom. <coughs> I think she says somewhere else that health reform can be health deform when it's carried to extremes. And we need to be in great... Um, we need to be very careful that we don't cross the boundary into deform with our ideas, extreme ideas. We need to follow the middle path of simple eating and not to go 
follow some of these extreme things. And lastly, we talk about raw foods. Um, the how are we doing for time here? We've got 10 minutes. Um, out of the New Age movement, I think, from the West Coast, we've seen a lot of raw food promotion and having curative properties and making you feel so much elevated and feeling great. And certainly when people have been eating a McDonald's diet and go to eating simple raw foods, they're clearly going to feel a lot better because the food is more natural. Um, but whether the live enzymes is, is really part of the story, uh, certainly the data doesn't show that. The proponents of a raw food diet argue that heating above 48 degrees Celsius destroys the enzymes, so fire is your enemy. You need to eat like this young lady, eat your food raw, otherwise your enzymes are lost. What do we know from physiology? The pH of the stomach is such that it will denature proteins, denature enzymes before they even get into the duodenum. So the enzymes in raw food don't make it past the stomach. Well, then they get around this argument by saying, well, the enzymes reassemble themselves after they enter the small intestine. So it's like the argument just goes on and on. You can never bring closure. There's always something that they'll add to, to further their argument. A study that was done um, on the Hallelujah diet, <coughs> Dr. Donaldson published this a few years ago, but the things that are highlighted in yellow show that there's a deficiency when compared to the daily recommended intake. And you see energy is too low, protein is low, B12 is almost non-existent, D is also low, calcium levels are low, iron for women and zinc for women tend to be low. So on a raw food diet, you have difficulty meeting your daily requirements. The food is so bulky, so much fiber, it's very difficult to get all of the nutrients. So am I against raw food? Absolutely not. Raw food is great. I'm just not in favor of eating 100% of my calories from raw food. Some advantages to cooked food. As we mentioned in the last lecture, phytochemicals can be more available. Your isothiocyanates in your broccoli, the lycopene and other carotenoids in vegetables are more available to the blood. Uh, protein and starch is treated to make it more digestible. Your zinc and calcium are more available when the bread has been baked with yeast. You look at Ellen White's writing, there's many, many foods that she talked about as cooking, her vegetables, her beans, potatoes, etc. Of course, um, pathogenic organisms are destroyed by heat and the sugars that are in beans um, and other vegetables which cause gas, flatulence, are broken down somewhat so their level is diminished. So this is also a positive thing. So there's five reasons why cooked food can be an advantage. But we're not pushing that all food be cooked. There are some benefits on both sides. So as I mentioned earlier, health reform can become health deform when it is carried to an extreme and of all people, health reformers need to avoid the extremes, one extreme or the other. And somehow in today's society, we are pushed to extremes. You're not enjoying recreation now, are you? Unless you're doing an extreme sport. 
just walking is no longer almost considered a sport anymore or a recreational activity because you're not doing something extreme. You know, riding bikes off cliffs or jumping, skiing over great uh, terrain and what have you. So uh, we need to be careful that we aren't tempted to drift into those ways of thinking which do not attract people to the health message, believe me. And, and new Adventists that come in um, when they are channeled into these extreme ways of thinking um, end up in disastrous pathways. So in summary, beware, very much aware of a lot of false ideas that are out there that are propagated in the marketplace. Everything you read may not be accurate. Be careful. Get a second opinion. Coconut fat may not be all that it's cracked up to be. Manatech, I cut out my slides on bee pollen, but bee pollen is another product that has a whole list of things that's claimed for it, and there's no data to support that. Colonic cleansing can be dangerous. A totally raw food and excessive juicing are not ideal ways to obtain optimal nutrition. Having a glass of juice occasionally is not detrimental to your health. But it, putting all your vegetables and fruits into a juicing machine is certainly not ideal. And to check the validity of a claim, there are certain websites that you can go to to check it out. And I've given you a list of organizations and clinics and newsletters that are trustworthy and reliable that you should read and you should encourage others to read. I just want to finish. I was asked by the Vice President who invited me, I think we have still five minutes if I read my clock correctly here. Um, these, are, these will be listed on the website. I, I gave this to um, Rebecca. I think she's going to load these things as a one-page summary and it includes these last two slides. Things that I, what I call one-liners that you can give to your patients or merge into what you're telling them as things that are important. And some of these we've talked about in today's lecture, but not everything. Don't believe everything you read on the web. Okay, that's an important message to get to your clients because they tend to be believing everything. Get a second or third opinion about what you read. or see. Not everything that's natural is safe. Okay, there are certain herbs that you can drink that can knock you out. Just because it's a plant doesn't necessarily mean there are poisonous mushrooms, there are poisonous herbs. So not everything that's natural and grows out of the ground is necessarily safe. Okay, most things are, but there are some things that aren't. Herbs and herbal teas are not panaceas or a substitute for healthy living. Um, I have copies of my three or four latest books up the front here if any of you are interested in looking at them later. Um, they're available at my website, but one of them is on herbs and that's a whole other story. There are many herbs which show benefit, usefulness. Some are harmless but can have a placebo effect and people can get benefit, but they should not be considered as panaceas. Beware of processed food and of course what the food industry calls as the holy trinity. What is the holy trinity? Fat, sugar and salt. Okay, So you want to avoid those three things as much as you can. Choose low fat, low salt, low sugar. So these are things that you can tell your patient. Read labels. Okay, Steer away from things that are high in fat, high in salt, high in sugar. 
avoid foods with trans fat. They just are no good. Raise your bad cholesterol and lower your good cholesterol. It's a double whammy. Minimize your intake of liquid calories. Liquid calories don't satisfy as well as solid calories. And it's, it's now believed that part of the obesity epidemic in America is because too much <coughs> liquid is being drunk. It's not the total picture, it's just one little piece, but it's an important piece. Avoid the energy drinks, which are just so ubiqu ubiquitous now. Everybody's on one of these energy drinks to get a buzz. Most of the buzz is either guarana, which is caffeinated herb, or caffeine itself. You know, 200, 300 milligrams of caffeine in a Starbucks. Or you get these other drinks, um, I can't think of them all now, but you know the ones I'm thinking of that young people are using, just giving a tremendous surge. And then the last picture here, managing your weight may be the most important thing you can do for your health. Exercise 30 minutes a day, five days a week. You know, these are things you're probably telling your patients, but you have to keep telling them. They need to hear it over and over again. Get seven to eight hours sleep at night. This is becoming a rare commodity today. Nobody sleeps anymore, except in my meeting. <laughs> and we're seeing now, I mean, we used to think that sleep was just one of the natural remedies, but now we're seeing that sleep can lower your risk of obesity and diabetes. Okay, the data is out there. Eat mostly whole foods. Keep well hydrated. That helps to keep awake, keeps alert. I found I get very sluggish in the afternoon. Fall asleep at the computer so easily. But you have water and you keep drinking and it seems to keep, keep your mental acuity, keep awake. The best thing you can do at the table is to eat smaller portions. Okay, we showed you that earlier. Reduce the variety. The more, var the more variety you have on the table, the more types of pasta you have at a potluck, guess what? The more you eat. Okay, so cut down on variety and then push back. You know what I mean by push back. Okay? Before you feel full, you push back. Okay? Like the Okinawans, the 80% principle. Rely on food, not supplements, for your nutrients. One exception being vitamin D. It's very hard to get in food. And those of us who live in the northern climate, we don't get vitamin D for three, four, five months of the year. So you need a vitamin D supplement. And choose one a day if you're over 50. Okay, so these are some simple things that you can incorporate into your patients. And even if you give them a different one every time, they feel like they're getting nutrition education for nothing and they feel that's valuable along with uh, getting help with their ailment. Okay, so I think we have two, three minutes or not? Yes, you do. Two, three minutes for an observation or a comment or a snide remark. <coughs> I was wishing you wouldn't come to the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hot, and uh, it's especially if you're in Europe or Australia or other places, <coughs> it's very hot. Um, <clears throat> there's not a lot of good, good data on it. Some of us have high suspicion because um, when, you, when you blast a gene into the, into the genome of another plant, it isn't specifically inserted, and so we don't know what the 
effect is going to be. It may take a long time. And people say, well, you know, it took a long time for tobacco to be on the condemned list and trans fat. You know, it took decades before these things. So right now, um, GM foods are kind of being pushed through with approval and nobody's creating a lot of noise except people on the web are creating a lot of fuss. Um, personally, I mean, I can give you my own conviction, but I can't back it up with solid science because solid science is very hard to do because to get the seed, you've almost got to be a pro-GM scientist to be able to experiment with the GM food, with the GM seeds. So there is a, there's a, a problem there, but my personal feeling is that we're going to find problems down the road with these. How big the problems are, I don't know. But putting, putting, um, putting genes out into the marketplace in big fashion like we, like we do is a little bit scary. Now when it's more controlled in the laboratory and you're making insulin and other things by genetic engineering, that's a very, very controlled situation. But growing huge acreage with GM foods where you can get transfer of genes to other plants and all kinds of things happening, um, it's left to speculation. Now, I know some people will argue that this is all just based on fear or fantasy, but I think there are good scientists on both sides, pro and con. And until more research is done, we should be careful well, my principle is you avoid GM foods where you can, but in this country it's hard. Exactly. Corn, soya beans, canola, uh, <coughs> everything is being genetically engineered. It's very hard. But there, there, you, know, you can buy soya milk. You can buy silk, for example, that is specifically utilizing non-GM soya beans from Texas and North Dakota and they track it carefully so that it is exactly non-GM. So there are certain products you can buy, but by far they are the minority and you just have to live with whatever's out there. Yes, Bill. Science is not all in on GMO, but I think we can all support that food should be labeled whether it's GMO or not. The labeling of it definitely would help. Um, so yes, I think we should all support that. Yes. How about sugar substitutes of the various types? Well, it's a very good question, Dr. Crick. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of substitutes. I believe in the real thing. Um, <clears throat> sucralose, of course, is heavily chlorinated. And um, you know some of these other substitutes have had rat studies and other things that have raised questions. Um, stevia, of course, is a herbal product which doesn't seem to have any problem. So if you're looking upon that as a sugar substitute, I'd be a little more free to endorse that. But all the others, you know, look at me, I don't have a problem with calories. So, you know, if, if, I, if I get 5 to 10% of my calories from sugar, so be it. You know, if somebody's wanting to reduce their caloric intake or manage their diabetes, maybe they, they need to go to some of the other substitutes. But um, good management of foods can still utilize sucrose. 
Um, you don't have to be paranoid about it and looking upon it as a toxic food. But having said that, there is not a lot of negative data on the substitutes. So if you're used to using um, NutraSweet and Splendor and these sort of things, I, I think in, in regular use of them, there's not going to be any, any harm. I just have a bias against artificial <laughs> substitutes. It's a good question, though. Yes? Yeah, we couldn't fit everything in, but that's another good question. You all have great questions. We wish we had another weekend to cover them all. Organic foods <coughs> are awesome. Um, hopefully you can get them for a decent price. Um, pesticides, I live next to an apple orchard, so I see the sprays that go on. Um, it's very frustrating and annoying to see the, the level, but I realize that if you don't spray and you don't use herbicides and so forth, that a lot of crops won't come to maturity. But certainly if you can buy them, um, these things that are used by the, the Mexican immigrants, they have much higher rates of cancer. And women who work in the fields with children, the children, the, the pediatric cases of cancer and respiratory problems are definitely higher, that's well documented. So these things that are used in the field are dangerous, but on foods there is a minimal, there's not a lot of data to show that they are harmful long term in precise ways, but we know that they're toxic chemicals, so we want to avoid them. Why put them into our body even in small amounts? So, so using, using things that can remove the residues, you know, there are some in the marketplace now, I can't think of all the names, but I'm sure you know the names of things that you can wash vegetables with. But if you, if you can't do that, then certainly go organic and buy the stuff. And hopefully it isn't from a farm where the next one isn't organic because the wind can blow all the sprays downstream. And so, I mean, life is complicated and you can't live in a perfect world where water is pure, even bottled water is not 100% pure, and organic food is not 100% pure, so you, cho you choose the best of life, thank God for food on the table, and eat it heartily, and not worry about it. But if you worry about it, then you, know, you become psychotic. But you know, try, to, try to get organic if that's your preference, because it's certainly um, the data shows that phytochemicals and some vitamins, not many, but some are increased like 5 or 10%, but the phytochemicals tend to be higher in raw or in organic because the plants are stressed to fight off the invasion of whatever. And in that fighting off, the phytochemicals are produced. Phytochemicals are the natural plant's defense system. So organic foods tend to have higher phytochemical levels. But you know we're not, we're not talking about massive advantage. It's a little bit. Well, fry and health don't appear in the same sentence. <laughs> okay, they just they don't appear in the same sentence. The Surgeon General's report in 1988, he made it very clear that um, frying and, um, and and that category is not associated with his message of healthful eating and choices. So we need to keep that in mind. Um, it's not just a matter of red meats and, and barbecued processed meats, but also 
frying of vegetarian things we want to cut way back on because you're putting oil, which is unsaturated bonds, into the atmosphere at room temperature in full contact with air, with its oxygen, and you're just setting it up for free radical, bizarre, wild sort of behavior. And I'm not trying to describe something outrageous, but this is possibly what can happen. And so you don't want free radicals moving quickly around and double bonds migrating and everything and cyclization of products occurring. It can generate things that are mutagenic and used over a long term can be carcinogenic. So, you know, occasionally using frying food along with a good plate of vegetables, which will minimize the effect, is okay. But if you regularly use fried stuff, it's not good. Oh, because of the, the lack of double bonds? Well, you, the food's going to take up the saturated fat in the coconut, so you, you might avoid the, the free radicals and oxidation, but then you're going to end up with the saturated fat. So we, the point we want to make is that we want to make sure we're going to the real site and not getting other people's paraphrasing or, or version of their take on what they think they're reading. Thank you very much. Appreciate our... This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.